before you now. We're about to enter into another time of study. Pray that you be with us now. Help us to uh, be focused on your word and uh, focus that the text that we look at, Lord. We pray that this time that we spend now uh, will be profitable for us and that we can uh, gain much from it. Thank you so much, so much for this opportunity to be together and to spend so much time uh, in your word and, and with fellow Christians, Lord. We thank you for that. Please be with us as we go throughout the study. We ask this prayer for your son. Amen. So let's look at chapter 11 and verse 17. So we're talking about something that he does not praise them for here. And let's uh, see what that is. So would somebody read 17 to 34? But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for better, but for worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you not despise the church? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if, but if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the, with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Yeah, you may disagree with this, but I wonder if we don't struggle more to really understand the passages that we read so often than some of the ones that we read less often. We kind of get stuck maybe in a rut. I'd like you to look at this passage and let's see what it's saying. He, he says, I, I don't praise you now. Because when you come together, it's doing more harm than good. You're not coming together for the better, but for the worse. And what what was going on there in Corinth was just outrageous. It was scandalous. He said, when you come together to church, there's division among you. We know that already from earlier passages. But the division seemed to have cropped up, especially in the Lord's Supper. And uh, it's hard to believe, but he's got to give some credence to the reports. Uh, that he's getting. And uh, that it, it should be that our coming together unites us, particularly when we come together for the Lord's Supper. It should humble us, should bring us together. And it was not doing that here in Corinth. 
He says, as he thinks about the reports that he's heard, that there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Now, he's saying that there is a sense in which these divisions actually served a purpose. God can use even man's sins to accomplish His will. And so their divisions uh, were, were really served to reveal who belonged to the Lord. The fact that some of these people were, were discriminating against the others, some of the, some of the heresies that they believed really was a way of sorting out who was who. And who was faithful and who wasn't. That's true even today. There are false teachings, there are divisions that actually serve to show who really belongs to the Lord and who doesn't. Uh, so there's a, God, God can use those, but they're certainly not right. And he says simply in verse 20, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. I think what he means by that is emphasize the word Lord's. It's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Call it what you will, but it's not the Lord's. You may eat a supper, but God won't claim it. By their conduct, they were making it not His supper. And in 21, in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry and his other is drunk. It appears that what they were doing was almost the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus sacrificed Himself for others. And it looks like they were greedily gobbling down their supper before anybody else got there. And discriminating. They, th their whole idea was what they could get for themselves, not what they could give, how they could serve, which is then remembering just the opposite of what Jesus did. A feast so devoid of spiritual content might well, as well be eaten at home. That's where you ought to eat and drink, and that's what you're coming here for. The point of the Lord's Supper is not to get full. Not where you come if you're hungry and you know you really need something to fill your belly. Go do that at home. This is for a solid spiritual purpose. And, and what their attitude was was not praiseworthy. They were really shaming those who had nothing. They were despising the church. They, they were almost competitive about who could get the supper they wanted. So that's the problem. That's the issues that he's dealing with. And the solutions are several. First of all, in verses 23 to 26, he asked them to go back and remember when Jesus began the Lord's Supper, that it was the night he was betrayed. So it's a very solemn moment. You think about Jesus' heaviness of heart on that night, the seriousness of that night. And the night he was delivered, he delivered uh, this uh, feast. Uh, and and he, he took the bread and the fruit of the vine. And he had them share those elements. And he indicated that they were his body and his blood. Now... Clearly, Jesus was not telling the disciples, you're eating my physical body right now, and now you're drinking my blood. He was standing there intact before you. But he is saying that these mean that to us. When we eat the bread, 
we ought to think of it as being his body. Not physically, somehow chemically transformed, but that's what it means to us. And the cup is his blood. That's what it means to us. That's how we see that. And uh, again, that's serious. We're not dealing with some light-hearted meal. That we just kind of, you know, go in and grab what we can get and make sure we get enough to fill ourselves up. This is, this is remembering Jesus. This is a, a solemn commemoration. This is to be done reflectively, thinking about Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, the fact that the bread was broken, I think was the idea was shared among them. They broke it off and took a piece. And he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what this is all about. It's not what their supper was all about when they overindulged themselves and others were hungry. The death of Christ was not the thing that was central. The return of Christ was not being proclaimed. It wasn't the Lord's Supper. But that's what ought to happen. We ought to be remembering what Jesus did and proclaiming His death by our action, by our partaking of that supper until He comes back. And so he says in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. I believe he's saying that when we eat or drink irreverently, we eat or drink without reflecting on the Lord, without taking it seriously, and really doing this from the heart to remember the Lord, that, that we're, we're guilty of his body and blood. We're, we're, this is sacrilege. This is an insult to the Lord's death. We must not partake in some careless, irreverent, light-hearted spirit. And he says, in fact, a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he has to eat of the bread and drink the cup. As we partake, we actually need to be evaluating our behavior at this supper. We need to be considering, am I really reflecting on the Lord? Am I doing this seriously? Now, some people twisted this in my judgment and, and made this into partaking unworthily as like if I haven't done very good this week. If I've not lived very well. And the examination then to see how's my week been and how good have I been before the God? I don't think that's the point here. It's not bad to look at ourselves and see how we've been doing. But here, he's talking about how they partake. So he's saying that they need to partake properly, and they need to evaluate and consider, and kind of monitor themselves to make sure that they're keeping themselves reflecting on the Lord like they should be. That this is not turning into some kind of just social meal. Now, he says they should examine themselves and eat and drink. He does not consider a case in which the self-examination leads them to not eat or not drink. There's not a case where he says, and if you find out that you're not partaking well, or if you find out your life wasn't right this week, then you need to stay away from the Lord's Supper. He said, examine yourself and eat and drink with a 
focus on remembering the Lord properly. In Brazil, it's extremely common because of the denominational influence, I think, for even brethren to feel like they need to sit out the Lord's Supper for a while. You know, they, they've done something pretty bad, and maybe they'll be chastened for a month or two or three. You know, don't take the Lord's Supper for that period of time. This is not at all what he's talking about. The Bible doesn't teach that. If I've not done what I should, I need to repent. For not partaking the Lord's Supper is not an option. Sometimes we look for easier ways than repentance. And so sometimes in those situations, what we like to find is some way, if I just couldn't partake of the Lord's Supper for a while, and I didn't have to repent, that might be easier. That's not an option. We don't, this is not some chastening. This is not, you know, uh, doing some kind of penance. How many Lord's Suppers do I have to skip? But rather, I do eat and drink. I just, as I do it, I'm examining to make sure that my mind's on the Lord, that I'm really doing this seriously. He says, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, and then does not judge the body right. So, if I'm not really judging, I suspect you're the body of Jesus. Some people think it means the body of the church, but I suspect it means his own physical body. If I'm not thinking about his sacrifice, then I'm really eating and drinking judgment upon myself. Now, there's two judgments in this passage. There's our judging and, and, and examining ourselves, and there's the Lord's judgment. Now, you go through either one or the other. Either you're judging yourself, you're examining yourself and making yourself stay on track. Or you're being judged by the Lord. Now, it's typical, you may disagree, but it's typical for brethren not to understand this passage properly. So think about what he's saying. Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. What kind of judgment? For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Now I believe what he's saying is that because they were not partaking properly, for that reason... They were eating and drinking judgment to themselves. What kind of judgment? Well, weakness, sickness, and sleep, as my margin says, that is, they're dead. The rash of illnesses and even some deaths that have recently overtaken them is an expression of God's judgments, God's chastening, trying to bring them back to partaking properly. Now, that doesn't mean that every sickness or every death is a judgment of God. John 9, who said that this man was born blind, was it him or his parents? He was born blind. Jesus said it wasn't either one, but for the glory of God to be manifested. Job, who sinned for Job to suffer when he suffered? Nobody. He was suffering as a test case. Will a man serve God for nothing? So not every sickness and death is a reflection of God's judgments, but the ones in Corinth were. And Paul knew that. And so he's saying, because you're not partaking properly, here's how the Lord has chastened you. 
the events that have taken place, some of these unfortunate situations health-wise for you, have been because you're being judged by God for not properly partaking. I suspect this will come up when we talk together, but uh, you think about that, I think that's what he said. And so then he comes to the conclusions. My brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So, you know, don't rush in and grab it. Wait for everybody to get together and partake together. And if you're hungry, eat at home. You know, that the, the, the church assembly is not a place to get full. The Lord's Supper is not something to fill your stomach. It's bad to be more interested in the food than interested in Jesus and His sacrifice. The, the place to eat is at home. You know, we eat the Lord's Supper, but the, the, the point of the Lord's Supper is reflecting on Jesus, not the food itself. So eating social meals would be a home activity, not a church activity. Think about some practical conclusions. One is, when we come together to partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to remember Jesus. Doesn't that sound obvious? Have you ever listened to the Lord's Supper talks that are done, in some churches at least, before people partake of the Lord's Supper? It would seem that we are more interested sometimes in remembering how to partake, or when to partake, or how the Lord's Supper began, than to remember Jesus' death. We're going to properly partake. Let's give some talks that help us to think about Jesus' sacrifice and what that means to us and so forth. Having a steady diet of talks showing us how it all began or showing us when we should partake or how is really not the thing that's going to help us to focus on Jesus' death. I would say also, this I see a lot in Brazil. I assume it doesn't happen very much in the U.S., but who's to say? There's not some magic passage that needs to be read when the Lord's Supper is presented. I don't believe there are some churches in Brazil that feel like they can partake of the Lord's Supper if they haven't read Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29. But there's no passage that makes the Lord's Supper especially holy. But it's helpful to read and study and reflect on things that help us focus on Jesus' death and sacrifice for us. I would suggest also that we need to examine ourselves with seriousness. You know, there's a lot of importance in protecting the well. Let's use the time to really commune with Jesus, to remember Him and to partake with Him in this supper of His. There's a together aspect of the Lord's Supper. This is a meal that ought to draw us together. As our minds are together, we're partaking together, we're joined together in this. And certainly, if it's a social meal, eat that at home. That's not a church function. This is for us to come together and remember Jesus. That's what I get out of this passage, comments and questions. Scott? Uh, in verse 33, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Uh, the church that I go to, we have a serving in the morning and then a serving in the afternoon for anybody who was sick or was or missed. But 
based on this verse, it, it turns me against the idea of having a second serving in churches because it says when you come together to eat. If, if you didn't have anybody forsaking the assembling, you would all be coming together for that one purpose, so there would be no need for a second servant. Okay. Um, we probably shouldn't make an automatic assumption that someone who isn't able to come to, together and partake is forsaking. Sometimes that may be true, sometimes it's not. I do agree that this passage teaches us to come together and partake. You come together, verse 17. You come together, verse 18. You come, I've got a list of these. You come together in verse 20. You come together in verse 33. You come together in verse 34. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. On the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. So there's certainly an emphasis on we come together to partake. I, I would suggest that, however we view some of these questions about the Lord's Supper uh, being partaken up by a few people in a second service on Sunday, it would be thoughtful of us to go back and try to describe what we believe is right using biblical terminology. I think that's a helpful exercise. See if you can think about what practice about that would you would you believe in, and can you describe what you do using the terms the Bible uses in connection with the Lord's Supper? That would be my suggestion. Um, so, they find it interesting in this passage that um, some, I guess, I guess the term house church, uh, some house churches would do uh, where. They have emphasis on the quantity of how much we eat. They, they criticize many conservative churches for having, quote, pinches and sips. I find it interesting that in this passage, there's no emphasis on quantity. But the, only, the only really time that you see quantity even be mentioned is somebody that's eating too much and taking others. Um, but rather, the proper emphasis is on being filled, but on being filled spiritually. As yeah, so David saying that this passage does not emphasize that we need to drink a lot and eat a lot. And sometimes people criticize uh, brethren's practice for just pinches and sips. I would say the amount in itself is not a particular concern in the passage. But the point is not getting full. The point is what you eat and drink to be in, done in remembrance of Jesus. I doubt that it matters how much in and of itself. Uh, certainly no indication that it does here. So I agree. Yes, Megan. Anything for them. 
So I think there is that is true. I prefer to see the body in verse 29 as Jesus' own body. We aren't all agreed on that, I'm sure. Some people would see it as the church. So I mean, that's certainly a possibility. But I think in that connection, he's really talking more about focusing on reflecting on the death of Jesus and what, the, what his body meant. Related to what Skyler was talking about. Uh, the question is, can you take the Lord's Supper outside of church assembly, on vacation, at home, take it somewhere? I uh, can't, I would say, we often try to describe what we believe and do in Bible terms. Can we do that? Uh, I, I believe we can come together as a church and partake. Uh, if there's something else we can do, then I don't know about it. Both Jesus and Paul said as often as you partake of this bread and drink of this cup, you do it uh, in proclaiming the Lord's death or the remembrance of Jesus. My question is the phrase, as often as you do this, what do you think both of them are referring to? As often as you do this, meaning. Uh, Whenever you do it. So there's no limitation on when you can take a Lord's Supper as a church? I don't think here he's trying to set any limitation. I don't think that's his point. I think he's just saying, whenever you do it, this is how you're doing it. If there's a limitation on when it's done, I don't think he's dividing that here one way or the other. He's just saying, when you do it, here's how you're going. I've heard and have been at a church that practiced discrimination for those who are not believers in Brazil again. A lot of brethren believe that kind of need to police the Lord's Supper and not let non-believers partake. I would suggest the examination that he offers here is a self-examination. I don't know that the thing we need to be mostly thinking about is, you know, are they proper subjects to partake? But we ought to be thinking about how we partake. In actual practice among us, would be common to just pass a tray down the rows and not even know the people who are there, particularly if we're in an area with a lot of visitors and so forth. I don't believe that there's a responsibility on our part to interrogate people and find out if we think they're a Christian properly and so forth. Seems to me like that kind of not the focus of the Lord's Supper. That'd be my, my approach. That's what I teach in the Brazilian church. Well, I'm going to say how they did it was they said anyone who um, I don't think it's remember the exact word he was pretty much. If you're in the right relationship with God, you gather around the table and you partake as the table. So if you weren't in the right relationship with God, you just stay sitting. I think it's fine for us to say this is for people who are serving the Lord. This is, this is, for, this is for Christians, it's not for unbelievers. I don't know what I'm saying. But again, I think each person will evaluate that person. Right? Usually, uh, churches have a set time for everything they meet to worship and they do it whatever it is, and they have a certain way of doing services, so they do the Lord's Supper at a certain time, generally speaking. 
in verse 33 when it says, when you come together and wait for one another, does that mean if we notice someone is missing, we don't know why they're missing, and we need to wait for them, that maybe in a day of great communication we need to contact them somehow, or doesn't that put the congregation under a little bit of obligation? Well, I mean, I think they shouldn't be rushing in and grabbing it. They ought to be waiting until we all come together for take. I don't think that means if somebody's not coming, we still got to wait. Um, there may be a situation in which a brother would let it be known that he uh, is going to be a little late and we would postpone for taking to where we could do it together. We don't have a problem with that in this passage. Uh, but I think the idea is our practice ought to be a practice of coming together and partaking of it together. And so we wait until the time we're all together to partake. Yes? Verse 30, uh, for this reason they are hungry, are weak and sick, and are not asleep, uh, or dead. Uh, physical, spiritual? I think, I think physical. I think this is a chastening of belief. Probably very few people agree with me on that here, but that's what I think it's And still valuable today? I think so. I think the Lord still chastens, and in a physical way. As I said, I don't think every physical disability or sickness is automatically chastening. But I think God does still chasten them. Jason. I think that's possible.